And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. You're listening to the K-I-R-P Radio show last Friday night, last Friday night of the month with your guest host, Rocco P. It is Friday night, November 24th, one day after what we know is the national holiday of Thanksgiving. Tonight, I wanted to do a somewhat of a different show, and one day after the fact, looked at Thanksgiving. Um, I'm sure many, many listeners have heard about some of the history. I want to look at the history. The It's clear that from its inception, there was a spiritual, it was essentially a spiritual Christian celebration. That's clear. Political implications, though, came to play rather early on. That's interesting we look at that. So I want to talk about the origin, uh, how it changed even in American, in uh, the history of our nation even changed. Politics got involved. And then I want to look at the, uh, the destructive element, really, of political correctness about how people are attempting to deconstruct 
and destroy the current social order. And Thanksgiving gives those people who really want to destroy the current societal and social order, uh, Thanksgiving gives them a definite opportunity, gives them a target, something to aim at and attack a specific holiday and what it represents. Most people have probably heard about the uh, about the pilgrims. Uh, people had come to the states. Well, then it wasn't the states; it was the colonies. People had come to the so-called New World from Europe, uh, fleeing religious persecution, re- religious persecution, up until I believe 1648 with the Peace of Westphalia. There had been religious wars. So even apart from wars, there was different levels of persecution uh, throughout Europe. Uh, including, uh, including Great Britain. You may not know that, but well into the 1800s, during the time, roughly, of uh, the uh, war between the states or the war of northern aggression, even that late a time in Great Britain, you couldn't, or in England at least, you couldn't call a church Baptist. You couldn't even call a church Baptist. That's why Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, one of the most uh, influential to this day writers in in uh, in Christianity. His writings are very widespread. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the church he pastored was Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle. It was a Metropolitan Baptist Church. So that that sounds strange for someone from the American perspective, but you know what we have here was different and very good as far as religious liberty. So the pilgrims the pilgrims had been oppressed, and they came over to the New World. A good part of that was to have been in an environment where they would not fear oppression. Yeah, that's that's very clear. And it's different things they believed. You know, they were they were largely uh, they were committed largely to you know what we call Calvinism. Uh, they believed in uh, the sovereignty of God. Uh, they believed in uh, the solas. Uh, they believed in the sufficiency, ultimate sufficiency of Scripture. Believed in God's grace. But the uh, this idea again of Thanksgiving, obviously it was very difficult to survive in the New World. Many, if not most, had died. And... Warren Pope the Warren Pope the first date that we know of first the first re- recorded day of Thanksgiving was in 1623. Okay, Plymouth had I'll read from one side. Plymouth had been stricken with severe drought, upon which said William Bradford they set apart a solemn day of humiliation to seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in this great distress. That same evening it began to rain, which such with such sweet and gentle showers as gave them cause of rejoicing and blessing God, for which mercy and time convenient they also set apart a day of thanksgiving. So we can now look down at least to 1623. And some other dates pop up then. 1636, Thanksgiving was held in the Plymouth Colony community, beginning with a prayer in the meeting house, beginning some half an hour before nine can and continued until after 12 o'clock, uh, ye day being very cold, beginning with a short prayer, then a psalm saying, then more large in prayer, after that another psalm, and then the word taught, and after that prayer, and then a psalm, 
and then was followed by dinner, the poor sort being invited of the richer. So the last phrase there, the poor sort being invited of the richer, the idea they looked out to people that had more were looking out to take care of those to share a meal with those who had less. But you see the focus there on prayer. Um, today's contemporary church, or churches that do have a prayer meeting, um, it's not probably going to go on as long as they did. They said they started they started at a half hour before 9, so 8.30. And, uh, <laughs> and they say continue until after 12. But, you know, it was broke up. You know, it was, it was broken up. So they'd start out with a short prayer. Uh, they'd sing a psalm. Most of the psalms were written to be sang. Then uh, more prayer. Then another psalm. Someone would teach the word. Some preaching or teaching. And then prayer. And another psalm. So you figure that. You know, a snapshot then from 1636. The meeting they had then went on three and a half hours. All right. A little perspective, a little perspective, and yeah, it has been said, obviously, when when you go through uh, some type of testing or tribulation, uh, it may not produce character, but it reveals it, (laughs) and you could argue if we respond positively, it does produce it, but the point being, the the people who originally settled in, in the colonies, they were acutely aware based upon their understanding of God. They're acutely aware of who God was, uh, that God was gracious. They recognized him as the source of their life, uh, not just eternal life, but their temporal life. And they're acutely aware of how difficult life could be as they saw many of their brethren die. So it was, it was, uh, it was hard times, but... They were focused upon the Savior. They, you know, their faith was real. You know, you know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. Faith is only as real, as only as legitimate as the object. So their object was in the God of the Bible. The object was right. Their object of faith, the object of their faith was correct, and they were able to exercise their faith and and live it, and through the experiences, uh, the conditions that they lived in. So. Right then and there, I mean, the origin was clearly spiritual. It uh, it 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 started to change. Yeah, you know, there was the idea of an autumn holiday. Uh, you know, different proclamations had gone out at different times, and I believe there's one. Let me see. Something else I want to read before I focus on one proclamation. Make sure I could find that. And if anyone does want to join the discussion, that number is 619-638-8559-639. I'm sorry, 619-638-8559. We'll get you on the air. Uh, the I'm going to read uh, a proclamation 100 years later. Okay. I'm going to go ahead 100 years later, 1723. Go from 1623 to 1723. Massachusetts Bay Governor William Dummer, or Doomer. And it's not that long. I'm going to read through it to point out certain elements, certain, uh, and obviously things would continue to change in the colonies. 
by the Honorable William Doomer Esquire, Lieutenant Governor and Commander-in-Chief of His Majesty's Province of the Massachusetts Bay in New England, a proclamation for a general thanksgiving. For as much as amidst the various and awful rebukes of heaven with which we are righteously afflicted, we are still under the highest and most indispensable obligations of gratitude for the many instances of the divine goodness in the course of the year past. More especially that it has pleased Almighty God to prolong the life of our most gracious sovereign Lord, the King. The Royal Highnesses, the Prince and Princess of Wales, and their illustrious offspring, and to give an happy increase to the royal family, to defeat the wicked and desperate conspiracies against His Majesty's sacred person and rightful government, and to direct the councils of the nation to such measures for the suppressing and punishing the same, as under God may prove the means of their lasting quiet and security so far to succeed the administrations of His Majesty's government in this province to continue on valuable privileges, to restore health to us, to give us great plenty of the fruits of the earth, to defeat in some measure the repeated attempts of the Indian enemy against us, and to defend so many of our frontier plantations from their rage and fury, to guard our seacoast against the rapacious and bloody pirates, and deliver many of them into the hands of justice, and above all that he continues to us the precious benefits and liberties of the gospel. And he was in capitals. He didn't realize that was God. Now, getting back to the proclamation, the uh, governor said, I have therefore thought fit by and with the advice of his majesty's council to order and appoint that Thursday, the 28th of November, current be solemnly observed as a day of public thanksgiving throughout this province, exhorting both ministers and people in their respective assemblies to offer up their unfeigned thanks to Almighty God for these and all other his unmerited favors. And all service labor is forbidden on the same day. Given at the Council Chamber in Boston the 6th day, November 1723, in the 10th year of the reign of our Sovereign Lord George, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith. By order of the Honorable Lieutenant Governor W. Numer, by and with the advice of the council, Josiah Ward, Secretary, God save the king. So you read that, and obviously we're living on uh, we're living on the other side of the Revolutionary War, and uh, it's uh, it's extremely different <laughs> because you see the governor there was you know, committed, uh, you know, committed saw himself as a, you know royal as a loyal subject of the throne. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but going to the politics, part of what broke out with the American Revolution uh, before it became a revolution, part of what the colonists had, had fought, really the patriots were concerned with, was simply that the rights that they would have as British subjects were not being extended to them in the colonies, the same, the same rights they would have had on the other side of the Atlantic. And, you know, over time, taxation of the Quartering Act, in other words, British soldiers showing up, knocking on your door and saying, look, you know, we have to stay here indefinitely. Uh, Things like that became increasingly worse. But 
that was the perspective, really. And and you see it, you see in the governor's proclamation, there wasn't uh, there wasn't an idea, there wasn't a constant idea in the colonies to revolt. It was after a long series of events. <laughs> but really, that was the perspective that initially the patriots had. They said, why are we being treated less as British subjects, as those who are loyal to, to the crown? Why are we treated less on this side of the Atlantic than we would if, uh, if we were on the other side of the Atlantic? So, <clears throat> but you see, you, you see in in uh, Massachusetts Bay Governor William Jimmer's proclamation, you see clearly, uh, you know, faith in God. He's recognizing, giving God his due, and then recognizing the authority that he was under. So, that was 1723. Obviously, you know, most people listening to this will know what happened in 1776. <laughs> the uh, The Declaration the Declaration of Independence. So, as that had occurred, that, of course, obviously affected Thanksgiving. That that affected Thanksgiving. Uh, the, let me get the dates right here, as far as the war for U.S. independence. Uh, obviously, the uh, Declaration, largely written by Thomas Jefferson, Signed there, uh, July 4th, 1776. They didn't call it the 4th of July then. They called it Independence Day, which is, uh, I think, what we should call it. All right. The war the war ended with effective American victory in October 1781. So <clears throat> from the declaration to the end, to the end of hostilities, that's you know, about five years. It's about five years there. And... You see, <clears throat> there. Yes, that's that's a that's a fair period of time, and of course, you know, it was. It was only formally ended, when uh, uh, I'll I'll just read how how it broke down. Victory was won militarily, October 1781, followed by formal formal British abandonment of any claims to the states with the Treaty of Paris. That treaty was signed September 3, 1783, ratified by Congress January 14, 1784, and by King George on April 9, 1784. The war was officially over when that ra- when the ratification documents were exchanged in Paris on May 12, 1784. So, <clears throat> we go back from that proclamation <laughs> to a few years later. <clears throat> Our first, the first compact, or really the first constitution, they didn't call it that, was the Articles of Confederation. And I had mentioned this before on the show, the Articles of Confederation was, is really a superior doctrine, document. What we're taught in in schools with, you know, that give us the approved version of history in approved textbooks is that the reason that the constitution was needed is that the Articles of Confederation were weak. It was they were critically flawed, and they needed to really uh, the United States needed a stronger federal government than they would have called it a general government. Definitely wouldn't have called it a central government. The reality is, particularly in retrospect now, seeing what happened with the Constitution, uh, the fears of the Anti-Federalists were correct, 
and the federal government became far, far too powerful. But the point being, after the Articles of Confederation were abandoned, uh, the Constitution was illegally ratified by the states, something else they don't tell you in the uh, history textbooks. What the people were told at the time is they were having a meeting or a convention to base to just ratify or change or really amend the Articles of Confederation. And what they did is they completely replaced it. In any case, uh, George Washington, uh, the father of the country, first president, he, he made a proclamation. And it's interesting to see what had happened. He made this proclamation shortly after the Constitution had been ratified after it had replaced the, uh, the Oracle's Confederation. And it's interesting to see what had happened, really, even back then, how the people in the Continental Congress, how they viewed, uh, not so much Thanksgiving, but how they viewed their power, they, how, how, they, how were they, they, were, they were viewing and relating to the new compact or... Uh, or the Constitution. I'm going to read a read a bit of read read, read a piece here because what essentially happens: Continental Congress approached Washington for a proclamation. They could have just given it themselves. And even back then, there was some pushback as far as was it proper for the federal government to do this, or were they was were they really usurping the rights of the states? In other words, there was no objection. Thanksgiving, but was it the proper role or place of the federal government to be involved in that? It's very interesting. September 25th, 1789, Elias Bowden of Burlington, New Jersey, introduced in the United States House of Representatives a resolution that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon the President of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a constitution of government for their safety and happiness. The House was not unanimous in its determination to give thanks. Aidan Burke of South Carolina objected that he did not like this mimicking of European customs where they made a mere mockery of thanksgivings. Thomas Tudor Tucker thought that the House had no business to interfere in a matter which did not concern them. Why should the President direct the people to do what perhaps they have no mind to do? They may not be inclined to return thanks for a Constitution until they have experienced that it promotes their safety and happiness. We do not yet know but they may have reason to be dissatisfied with the effects it has already produced. But whether this be so or not, it is a business with which Congress have nothing to do. It is a religious matter, and as such is proscribed to us. If a day of Thanksgiving must take place, let it be done by the authority of the several states. So that was that was really, to me, that was uh, that's illuminating to see what the objection from Adonis Burke of South Carolina said he basically drew he had two criticisms about the initial proclamation. Number one, uh, how do we know? I mean, you want to 
part of the political element, and I'll read Washington's first proclamation, was for the new Constitution. And he just bluntly said, should we necessarily be thankful for something when we don't know how it's going to work? We don't know what the effects are going to be of this yet. Uh, secondly, uh, as a good as a good federalist, that federalist as a as a good uh, person that understood the separation of powers, he pretty much said, uh, "Well, that's kind of religious, and that's really that's not something we should get into." And you know, there's no there was no religious test for federal office holders. Now, some of the states, most of the states, did have a state religion. You had places like Pennsylvania, which you know was total religious liberty, but states like North Carolina, you had favored status to the Church of England, and so on. So he was basically saying, you know, the states could do that because some of them, you know, have the state's power isn't isn't, uh, isn't really circumscribed or restricted as is that of the federal government. Uh, <laughs> so. He was he basically was drawing grounds upon you know the limitation of state powers, and uh, he just said, "Hey, if someone wants to do this, it's it should be the states." <laughs> uh, of course, his his position didn't win the day, citing biblical precedents and resolutions of the Continental Congress. The proponents of Thanksgiving celebration prevailed, and the House appointed a committee consisting of Elias Bodineau. Roger Sherman and Peter Sylvester to approach President Washington. The Senate agreed to the resolution on September 26th and appointed William Samuel Johnson and Ralph Iser to the Joint Committee. On September 28th, the Senate Committee reported that they had laid the resolution before the President. Washington issued the proclamation on October 3rd, designating a day of prayer and thanksgiving. So, and I'll... Uh, let me back up there for a moment before I read uh, Washington's Washington's first proclamation. From the beginning, again, you see how there was there's not only reservations, but uh, it was starting to change as far as pre-Revolutionary War. Uh, it was extremely, you know, Thanksgiving was celebrated extremely primarily predominantly yeah it was a spiritual uh it was a spiritual event people that believed in Christ and the Bible were thanking God for a lot of things then the political element i mean you could say you know there was a political element all along in that you know you had colonies and this and that but we'll see what happened with what Washington did and that criticism men going back to the Continental Congress that should we really I don't know. The, the question was raised: Should we should we thank should we be thankful for a document we don't know what's going to happen? But let me back up to to the Continental Congress a few years before that, then 1778. This was what the Continental Congress did. Okay, um, a brief uh, brief proclamation. It having pleased Almighty God through the course of the present year to bestow great and manifold mercies on the people of these United States and it being the indispensable duty of all men gratefully to acknowledge our obligations to him for benefits received, resolved that it be, and hereby is recommended to the legislative or executive authority of each of the said states to appoint Wednesday, the 30th of December next, to be observed as a day of public thanksgiving and praise, that all the people may, with united hearts, on that day, express a just sense of his unmerited favors 
particularly in that it pleased him by his overruling providence to support us in a just and necessary war for the defense of our rights and liberties by affording us seasonable supplies for our armies, by disposing the heart of our powerful monarch to enter into alliance with us and aid our cause, by defeating the councils and evil designs for our enemies and giving us victory over their troops, and by the continuance of that union among these states, which, by his blessing, will be their future strength and glory. And it is further recommended that, together with devout thanksgiving, may be joined the penitent confession of our sins and humble supplication for pardon through the merits of our Savior, so that under the smiles of heaven our public councils may be directed, our arms by land and sea prospered, our liberty and independence secured, our schools and seminaries of learning flourish, our trade be revived, our husbandry and manufactures increased, and the hearts of all impressed with undissembled piety, with benevolence and zeal for the public good. And it is also recommended that recreations unsuitable for the purpose of such a solemnity may be omitted on that day. Done in Congress this 17th day of November 1778, and the third year of the independence of the United States of America. So, obviously that proclamation was extremely political because this thing called the United States had just come into ex existence on July 4, 1776. And this is while they were still fighting. Once again, the, uh, the conflict had not stopped. Uh, the conflict was not over at that point. So... There was a there's a very good reason <laughs> there's there's a number of reasons for those people to be extremely thankful uh, for what they had had that there still was the United States at that point and you see in contrast to the previous Massachusetts Bay Governor's Declaration before the war had started obviously there was no prayer or thanks for the king or anyone attached to the royal family in Great Britain. The uh the situation obviously had had uh had completely and uh, radically changed. So there you have it during the uh during the Revolutionary War, which uh was then until October seventeen eighty one, you see that uh that re that proclamation, seventeen seventy eight, in the midst of it in the midst of the battle, uh there was continental congress grateful, obviously it was spiritual, they're thanking God. And when you talk about that with Thanksgiving, it's it's interesting how some people that are uh aren't Christian at all, they they want to embrace uh the outward effects or really the the appearance of religion and then re reject the real power, reject God himself. I mean I remember uh I remember a person I knew one time, uh she had said she yeah you know, she didn't believe in God, but she'd celebrate Christmas as a national holiday. And to me, Thanksgiving really exposes what people believe because who you're being thankful to. Uh, you could be thankful for things, but ultimately, who you're recognizing as a where do you get the things, whatever you are thankful for, where'd that come from? Ultimately, it is God. If you believe in the Bible, you believe God is creator. Uh, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. 
Uh, that's from the Epistle of James. So, if you believe God's creator, if you have a biblical worldview, uh, it's a very wicked thing not to be thankful, not just one day of the year. However, if you attempt to remove God from the picture, then that does beg the question, who or what are you being thankful for? You're listening to KRP Radio Show, last Friday night of the month with Rocco P. Going to take a break. We'll look at George Washington's first proclamation and how how that had changed again as the political situation had changed. And we'll look at that in a few moments. KRP Radio Show. We'll be taking a break now. KRP Radio! How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government, 2 million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. It is my mission to create brand stories for you that push the envelope, force people to stop, think, and take notice. Ride with you on your journey to success by creating great design that makes you look like the originator and not an imitator. Get you out of your comfort zone. Inspire you to take action. Be risky and always stay true to your passion. 
Tiffany Inc. is located in Los Angeles, California. Tiffany Inc. specializes in designs, creative brands for the entertainment, fashion, beauty, and food industry. Some past and present clients include Jill Osco, J&K Fresh LLC, celebrity chef Nikki Shaw, teen and family producer Doreen Spencer, the National Association of Veterans, the Alzheimer's Association, and a host of fantastic others. To contact Tiffany Inc., all you have to do is log on to www.tiffanywithaniinc.com. Tiffanyinc.com. K-I-R-P Radio! You are listening to Last Friday Nights of the Month with your guest host, Rocco P. K-R-P Radio Show. I'm talking about Thanksgiving, the historical background, spiritual nature based upon a biblical worldview, and how in the, in the context of the early American Republic, uh, that had changed. Uh, that had changed uh, and had to change because you couldn't obviously be thankful for uh, the crown. You couldn't be thankful for a king that you were fighting against and declaring a tyrant. That couldn't happen. We get back to, we talked about... Uh, George Washington's first proclamation I was about to read. It's not it's fairly brief. And again, when that happened, Continental Congress was had issued proclamations on their own, as I just read. Read one during, in the midst of the uh, Revolutionary War. Oh, Washington, and uh, you know, with well, I mean, aided and abetted, really propelled by people in the Continental Congress, they wanted to promote. The new compact, the uh, the uh, Constitution, the replacement to the Articles of Confederation, which was unfortunately illegally adopted. This uh, worked its way into part of the reason for uh, George Washington's first proclamation. And let me pull up that proclamation and read that. Written from New York, October 3rd, 1789, that was where the capital of the states was then, by the President of the United States of America Proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty, 
which we have since enjoyed. For the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good government, peace, and concord, to promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal, pros temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the city of New York on this, on the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1789, George Washington. Now, <clears throat> you read that, and you think, if you have working knowledge of the Bible, well, obviously, I mean, you know, George Washington had to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> it's, it was evident. <clears throat> Excuse me. Washington, uh, like some of the other founders, he was his belief system was complex. And I wouldn't want to say he was being, uh, Washington was being deceptive. Though it's quite possible. But what, what, it's rather difficult to pin down exactly what Washington believed. I say that because he was committed high-level Freemason. He was a high-level Freemason. You could see, you go online, you could find a portrait, yeah, where he's, yeah, he's decked out in a Masonic gear. And when he died, he had a Masonic funeral. Uh, you could say he didn't have a Christian funeral. Yes, I'm drawing a distinction between the two because Freemasonry is a it's a secret society with their own orders and rights. I say it's it's secret. They do not disclose what they do. They take secret oaths. No Christian should be involved in in Freemasonry. And a lot of people get involved. and They don't know till till later on that uh, at the top it is Luciferian. In any case. Uh, Washington was a high-level Mason. Some people, like David Barton, had said yeah, there's a change in Masonry at one point. Uh, I don't think Barton could prove that. Uh, Barton has gotten caught lying wholesale about Jefferson. Barton wrote a book about Jefferson that Thomas Nelson pulled because Barton lied. I mean, blatantly misrepresented documents, took documents out of context to try and make Thomas Jefferson sound like he was a believer in the Lord Jesus. Jefferson was known alike. If you want to read more detail along these lines. Uh, there's a book by, uh, I believe his last name is Fraser, or Revolution and Reason. Uh, it was about the faith of the founding fathers. Uh, he had, I believe he still teaches at the Master's College. He's got a PhD from, uh, from a state university. And he talks about, you know, he basically goes down to certain biographical sketches of you know, the spiritual beliefs of certain founders. And Jefferson, I mean, it was it's well known. 
You know, Jefferson did not believe the scriptures. He did not. Now, he wasn't opposed to it. Uh, he saw there was some benefit, and you could draw different conclusions about why he was that. Was was he just an elitist? But again, he's by no means, he's very pronounced, and he did not believe in the God of the Bible. He even, pro- he even produced, he had published uh, a Bible where he cut out, a New Testament where he cut out the miracles, which basically, what would that be like? You know, that'd be like a pizza without crust. It's not a pizza. But <clears throat> I say all that again, just in passing to say, just because, you know, that proclamation sounded extremely consistent with the biblical worldview. Uh, there's much, there's much, there's much about Washington that would flatly contradict that, considering he was a high-level Freemason. Again, I do stress, when he died, he had a Masonic funeral. So, getting back to Thanksgiving today, now, uh, well over 200 years after, you know, the uh, the revolution. Now, and we've been under this. Uh, We've been under the new constitution you know, shortly thereafter. Uh, Thanksgiving is under attack. And you can say the attack the attack is twofold, really. The one would be the inner attack. Uh, Christians becoming complacent. And we see the pattern in scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. Not that I believe... Uh, the church is Israel. The church—I do not believe the church is spiritual Israel, but it's uh, the church. Is, uh, Israel was a type of the church, and you see through prosperity, people forget. God's people forget who He is, and then there's the clenching. The spiritual word would be apostasy. So one attack against Thanksgiving, perhaps the greatest attack, is the internal attack. God's people forgetting who He is. God's people. Uh, being more uh, more concerned or preoccupied or caring more about the gifts and not the giver. And I go back again, you go way back to the first Thanksgiving celebration. If you were part of a group that had covenanted, covenanted together and made a solemn agreement to stick together and to go to this new world in large part to basically practice your Christianity in an unfettered environment free of persecution. And once you got to the New World, you know, half the people you were with or better died, uh, shortly either during the trip or shortly thereafter, that would give you uh, an increased sense of the goodness of God and how much you have to be dependent upon Him. It's been said before that in today's technological society we're blessed you flip a switch we got light you flip a switch you got heat if it's the winter you flip a switch most people you got cold air you got air conditioning in the summer you get into a car at free will you can travel distances uh and of course in the political environment yeah, it's becoming more difficult to travel <laughs> unfettered the point is the prosperity that God's people have enjoyed in this country, it's easy to forget. It's easy to be distracted, to focus upon, you know, things that are temporal and the, and the temporal blessings and not give due regard to the Savior or disregard Him altogether. Again, you look at the prayer, the focus, and the intensity of the prayer life of those people early on 
And you could say the same thing, really, with the Christians. It was minority movement uh, of the whole country. I mean, it was a minority movement started out. When the revolution started, uh, 3% of the people were behind it. 3%. That's why some patriot groups today, you know, they'll say they're, they're three percenters. They want to identify with that. And of those 3%, I mean, Christians were involved. The, uh, <clears throat> there were there were really two types of uh, meetings going on, you know, preceding the revolution. You had, uh, you had some open meetings, and you had closed meetings. You had groups like the Sons of Liberty that were Christians. They got that from they got that that title from the scriptures. So Christians were represented during the revolution. No, all of them weren't on board. A lot of them took took the view that hey, this is the authority God's put us under, and others used uh, as was in the first Continental Proclamation I read at Thanksgiving. The phrase "just war" was there. Just war. Others used the reasoning from the Church Father Aurelius Augustine said this is a just war because the rights are being violated. In any case. Today, the internal attack on Thanksgiving is real for those who name the name of Christ. It's very easy to be distracted, to not give God his proper recognition, and again, to focus on temporal blessings to, uh, to the neglect of the giver, to the neglect of, of, of our Creator. The external attack is very real, too. I've spoken before on the show about political correctness, which is really philosophically cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism. The idea of political correctness is not a joke. It's, it's Even though some things are absurd and funny, the goal, a lot of people, social, social justice warriors, a lot of people that will fixate upon identity politics, that will fixate upon race and things, they don't understand the goal is the destruction of societal order. They don't understand how horrible it is. So, People literally want to destroy the current societal order. They want to rip it down. They want to burn it down and then build on top of that. And I don't think if they got their way, what they built would not be good. (laughs) But people obviously have openly, want to openly disparage and uh, criticize and reject as evil. Uh, You know, really, the, the people that found the country. Uh, you know, it's been said a lot with people. It's come up that you know the founders were slave, you know, they were slave owners, and not all were. Uh, but just reject everything then. You know, just you know, uh, Jefferson had slaves. Reject everything Jefferson did. You know, and you just rip out of the historical context where it happened in the states. The level of religious liberty, the level of economic liberty that existed, was unparalleled. Again, if you're destructive and self-centered, you don't. You have no idea. You, know, you have no idea of the idiocy how you're being manipulated. That you just want to rip down the social fabric fabric of the country, and part of the way you do that is by destroying the past. That's also part of why I've talked about the Confederacy. That you know, people want to make Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, into something he wasn't. When Lincoln was a tyrant. Lincoln was a racist. Uh, Lincoln wanted to send all the blacks to Africa. You know, blacks obviously had been born in the states. He wanted to send to Africa. So this is again, you need to see a little bit of the history to understand what's happened. And obviously, the powers that be, or really it shouldn't be, want to make Lincoln a secular 
patron saint of the country. They want to make him you know, a superhuman person that was good to be revered because he believed in federal supremacy. He destroyed, you know, he undermined the power of the states. The destructive, the destructive force of political correctness and cultural Marxism. Uh, again, you rip if you want to destroy the, the social order, and as they want to do, you have to destroy the narrative. No, you have to destroy the past. You have to destroy the way we interpret the past, and that's being done openly. That's being done openly. Just one quote I'm going to pull up uh, tonight along those lines as far as Thanksgiving. Uh, this is from uh, this is from a piece in the site I suggest you don't go to called Jezebel.com. And the article I'm going to quote from was, was laced with profanity. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to mention any profanity. The name of the piece, the name of the article was Pumpkin Pie, Slice of Heaven, or Unadulterated Trash. Just give you a mindset. So two people were debating you know, a pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin pie. Is pumpkin pie good or bad? Okay, you know, It's a really, really important topic. But to give you the mindset of someone, just the stuff that just floats, that's freely communicated by people whose minds are warped and who have a very destructive view of the current social order. And again, in order to destroy the current social order effectively, you have to destroy the past and what's revered in the past and what's good about the past. Uh, this author, Anna, says, Let's be clear. The only thing that we should be ashamed of itself is Thanksgiving, a holiday-length ode, a holiday-length ode to white supremacy and an undeserved celebration of a band of uptight zealot weirdos who should, who should have been allowed to freeze to death. Okay, that's she said. Let's be clear. The only thing that we should be ashamed of itself is Thanksgiving, a holiday-length ode to white supremacy, and an undeserved celebration of a band of upright zealot weirdos who should have been allowed to freeze to death. So, yeah, that's her. That's that's her view of Thanksgiving and the Pilgrims. So, they were uh, they were white supremacists, and uh, they were uptight zealot weirdos. Uh, but she's she's got the right view of society. She's got the right worldview. This is this is what we're up against. And again, in spite of all the antipathy and disgust I feel towards political correctness and cultural Marxism, really cultural Marxism being the philosophical the apparatus and machine behind political correctness, as much as that disgusts me, as does identity politics. And I, identity politics, I think I've said before, the response to Black Lives Matter isn't White Lives Matter. That's what they want. They they, they want to divide us, and that's. That's just beyond absurd and destructive and asinine. That's, that's not the proper response to Black Lives Matter is All Lives Matter. We have our rights as individuals, but they want us at each other's throats, figuratively and sad to say literally. So if you identify what they're doing, it's easy. It's relatively easy to disprove. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to refute. A lot of these people, I mean, they're driven by emotion, the people on the street. And, of course, you look you know, layers further, they're backed by uh, foundations, uh, people like George Soros, trying to trying to get, accomplish this. So again, there'll be paid protesters. Uh, I'm sure you you have probably heard that. Uh, and anytime you see people using violence, oftentimes they're Asian provocateurs. But you know the, the philosophy is pretty clear. Uh, the people that came here, 
the people that found the nation were moral, upright Christians. They uh, were not white supremacists. It was not a racial identity. <laughs> Race was not driving what they were doing. What was driving what they were doing was faith in the Lord Jesus, and the faith, faith in the scriptures as being authoritative. And as a, as a personal note of testimony, uh, in the church I was baptized in, it was just a bunch of interracial com- couples, bunch. And yeah, I've been in conservative evangelical and fundamental circles. I have not only have I never seen an issue, I see these people as being these Christians as being the least racist of like anybody. <laughs> people I went to Saint Mary with, you know, so, you know, their children marrying interracially, it's just not an issue. It's just it's just not an issue. But the powers that you know, as people are using more manipulated, they want you to believe otherwise. Thanksgiving uh, is a great concept, but ultimately you can't give thanks unless you know who the Savior is. That's what it comes down to. If uh, if you don't, you know, I just encourage you to read through, read through the book of Romans. You'll see the themes of the righteousness of God. You'll see the moral law of God. You'll see that we have all fallen short of that. And once you realize that you do fall short of God's moral law, that you are a sinner, the only response is to turn to Christ. And that change takes place, then you trust Christ, and God sees Christ's righteousness in you. Some people, that's uh, it's being declared righteous. It's uh, the doctrine of uh, justification. At that point, then you become a child of God. God gives you a new, new heart. You see life. You see life differently then. But Thanksgiving is a good thing. It was established by people of faith. Uh, it was good. Could it be proclaimed? Was Washington right in making national celebration? Uh, I would argue no. I would have left it up to the states. But yeah, there was political motivation then. They wanted to peep. They wanted to do that in part to help acceptance of the new constitution. But Thanksgiving is a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing. But the most important thing is to know who you should be thankful to uh, and what you should be thankful for. So apart from Christ, apart from knowing God personally, uh, yeah, there'd be some there's some temporal benefits for not being an ingrate, but it's not going to matter in eternity. If you're listening to the KRP radio show, your guest host Rocco P. last Friday night of the month with Rocco P. Once again, I thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to use his platform, and I will be back next month, last Sunday night, I mean last Friday night, next month, I may do a show in between now and then, I'm still checking with a host, if so, that will be posted, thanks again for listening to the KIRP radio show, KIRP radio!